0: Well, I told somebody, um, if I could ordain a deacon, conduct a wedding, and preach a funeral, I'd just do it all in one last day, right? Uh, we've done everything else, business meetings and baptisms, I'm going to get to preach. This is our final time together, not, not the last time you're going to see me, but the last time we'll see each other in this capacity. And, uh, and Man, I've said this a thousand times before, I am so thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm thankful for your uh, influence in my life and in my ministry. We've shared a lot of different stories here. As I was thinking back about some of the things that have happened, I was thinking about um, when Brody was born, uh, we had our kids here. Um, we were kids when we first came here. I said that to uh, Linda Wary this morning. I said, I said, we were kids when we came here. And she said, I was a kid when you came here. <laughs> I said, you're right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we had our boys here. I, I remember when Brody was born, um, it, was, it was sleeting that day and uh, our family was trying to figure out whether they were going to be able to make it down to Warren or not and so we sent out the text and said it's happening and uh, schools were being let out and uh, Jessica and I went, had gone to Hank's office to see him just for a regular weekly whatever and he said, he said okay today's the day we're gonna do it and she looked at him and said do what? and he said have a baby that's what we've been working for this whole time and so uh, we sent out the text and uh, man that waiting room was just packed full of people. We had students that came, this, was, this will tell you how long ago, we had students who came and brought a TV into the waiting room of the hospital and set up a PlayStation and just stayed all 16 hours playing the PlayStation. It was just full of people. As uh, a matter of fact Kevin Taylor, uh, Kevin Taylor was at school at UAM and got the text. He told us later he jumped up out of class announced to everybody, we're having a baby, and ran outside and hit a slick spot on the sidewalk and rolled all the way down the hill trying to get to his car uh, to sit and wait for 16 hours for Brody to show up. Um, and so he made it. Uh, I remember Jax, uh, there was just as many people when Jax was born, but the greatest memory I have of Jax's birth is that Jessica, uh, just now we're in the, it was, it was like he was hours old. It was routine. It was scheduled and it was great. And so um, Jax is hours old and Chad Young comes in and Chad is I, I don't even think Chad was married at this point he was a single guy and he was like I'm just coming to say hi to the baby and you know, he came in and he's holding Jax well Jessica had gotten sick like sick from the anesthesia and so so Chad, with my hours-old baby, was on baby duty for about an hour, and he was good until it was time for him to be changed. And he was like, okay, guys, I, need you to, I just need you to do something with this. And he ended up handing him back off to us, and he was like, okay, I'm out. And he left. He's just like, I've had enough. I've, I've held a baby for an hour. I'm gone. Uh, I remember those things. I remember uh, trips that we've taken and mission trips that we've taken. I, I remember uh, Jessica, Jessica reminded me of this. We started Engage. We had been here for about five years and started a young family ministry that was just folks our age that we you know we just wanted to pour into and just do life with and so we had about 50 people at our house uh, for the very first engage and we were scrambling trying to figure out childcare for all of our little ones the very last engage that we had we were all scrambling trying to find our reading glasses and we were passing around one pair of reading glasses to everybody else going you want to read or do you just want to look at a blurry page it was it's just it's been a really incredible uh, seventeen years of our life and and we don't take any of that for granted and and, and i've said it a thousand times I, i'm so proud of this church today Days like today make me even more proud of this church it shows that that God is still has his hand on this church that he's he's drawing people into salvation into salvation knowledge and then all the way through baptism it shows that God has a plan and a purpose for your church even through a pastoral transition you've got responsibility to all five of those kiddos to to continue to pour into them and to to allow them to grow into who God has them to be and so it's just it's a really really good day so I, I started a series last week that I've entitled Last Thoughts. I try to give you guys a last thought at every uh, sermon of mine, something for you to chew on, something to think about throughout the week. And so it was kind of fitting that the last couple of weeks I was able to preach through this little short series of, of last thoughts. We're looking at Ephesians. We're looking at Paul's letter uh, to, of Ephesians and we're, we're seeing kind of his final thoughts to a church, a church that he knew and that he loved. A church that he spent time with and he knew the people and he invested in their lives. So, A little over two years he was with the church at Ephesus and, and he really, uh, when he writes to them, he writes from a, from a perspective of knowing them and for, from a perspective of, of authority and a, able to challenge them. And he gives them some really good things, things that I believe are real pertinent to us and even in our own uh, situation this morning. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, how we are to act from this point, you know, from a perspective of, of a church and as a gathering. Uh, we talked about humility and patience and gentleness and love. We talked about how we are to be united with each other, uh, that there should be no divisions among us, that we should all be in unity with one another. And so this morning, we're going to look at kind of his finally statements in chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, this is how he closes his thought to them and how we'll close our time together as well. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. After everything he's told them in this letter, after all his time together with them, he, he says, Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I I love this because this is kind of like a rally call for the strength, to find strength within the church. It's not the first time he's called them to tap into this strength. As a matter of fact, if you were to look back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's been wanting the strength to be, ex, ex, you know, kind of expressed in their life for a long time. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 tells us where the strength comes from. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He says, be strong. You've got everything you need to be strong. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead now indwells in the hearts of every believer. And we read that and we think, yeah, be be strong, right? Be strong against temptation, be strong against false teaching, be strong against the wolves and sheep's clothing. We get that, be strong, but that's not what it says. It says, be strong in, and we jump right back in and start cutting off God, going, okay, yeah, be strong in our faith, and be strong in our convictions, and be strong in what we know is right, be strong in steadying the ship while, while we're in a pastoral transition. We get it, be strong in all those things, but that's not what he says either. He says, be strong in the Lord. And there's that phrase that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks again, in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. In him we have redemption and forgiveness. In him we were chosen and marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That phrase, in him, or, or a variant of that phrase, occurs 35 times in the letter of Ephesians. Do you think he's trying to get a point across? It's in Him that we are anything at all. It's in Him that we find our strength. It's in Him that we we can do anything to begin with. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about even IBC or your small group or your friend group. It's about Him and His mighty power. It's through Him that we can do anything at all says be strong in the Lord and then he tells us how verse 11 put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes we're gonna get to the armor of God in just a minute but I don't want you to skim over the second half of that verse put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes hear the verbiage there Paul explains what he means in this next verse verse 12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We don't talk about this very much, especially in Baptist churches, because it seems more mystical than it is. But but know this: without getting into conversations of angels and demons and all that, know this—they are real—and there's a very real spiritual warfare that happens around us. The enemy is strategically planning your demise. He has a scheme, right? He's got a, he's got a battle plan. And here's, here's what we sometimes do, and it's, it's not right. Sometimes we give the enemy too much credit, okay? First of all, he is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-present, and he is not eternal. Those, those qualities belong to God and God alone. So sometimes we, we kind of go, oh, he's just, he's, no, he's not. He's not that that powerful. But he does have a plan. And he knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what's going to get us to slip up and what's going to get us to fail and to fall. He knows how to tempt us into those situations, specifically, each one of us. That word schemes means cunning arts, deceit, craft, or trickery. And that's exactly what it is it's a trick. He's presenting something that looks like what will fulfill you, that looks fun and that'll make you happy, that looks exciting, that looks exactly like what you've been waiting for, but it's a trick, and it's a scam. Matter of fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's telling the church to forgive those who have offended them, and he says this, he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive, and what have I forgiven if there was anything to forgive i've forgiven in the sight of christ for your sake in order that satan may not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes he's going listen he's not going to fool us we're not he's not going to fool us into holding grudges and being mad at each other we're going to forgive each other we know his scheme we know his trick jesus himself said in john ten ten that the thief comes to steal kill and destroy that I have come so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. He, he says that the enemy has a goal in mind, and that goal is to destroy you. He wants to destroy marriages because he's going to present someone or something or some, some idea that seems so much better than what you've been already given. He's going to destroy families because he he presents freedom or escape or entertainment when in all reality it's bondage and suffering and shame. He wants to destroy churches because he presents an opportunity for you to finally get what you want, knowing that if everybody pushes their own agendas, churches will implode. And he destroys individuals through tempting us with sin because all sinful behavior looks fun. It looks like no one from the outside will ever know. It, It looks like it's only going to affect you until it affects everybody, and then everybody knows, and then it's not fun anymore. It's a trick. It's a scheme. It's what he's been doing from the very beginning, and if we're not prepared, we will fall for it every time. So how does Paul tell us to prepare? Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. That you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. We're going to come back to that verse in just a little bit. But let's look at the armor of God. Verse 14. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, you can, you can hear a diff, hundred different interpretations of the armor of God, different um, implications, maybe different understanding, but the same sort of application, right? The basics are this, and I, I think I've got them on the screen. There's six pieces to this. And with each piece of armor, you have a spiritual correspondence, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes with the readiness of the gospel. Really, that's the readiness to share the gospel, right? The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Like I said, there's multiple different interpretations of these things, and you can, man, if you Googled the armor of God and even listen to five different pastors, you're going to hear five different sermons about these same six armor pieces. I, matter of fact, I listened to John Piper this past week uh, describe. Uh, some people want to put a element of the order of them. Is there is there significance to the order of the armor of God? Is it is it the pieces of armor? in the order that a soldier would put the armor on and he starts going through them like the belt okay that makes sense we're gonna we're gonna put on a belt and then we're gonna put on a, the breastplate which is a, kind of a, a, a shield for your chest and he goes but then you put on your shoes wouldn't it be easier to put your shoes on first and then put on your belt and put on your breastplate and then he says well, you you grab your shield but wouldn't you need two hands to put your helmet on and and so there's you know and he was saying basically I don't know Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And he says, "Well, maybe there's an order when it comes to the spiritual elements about truth and righteousness and and evangelism, essentially, faith, salvation, and the word of God." But but every time you get into those things, you start drawing real hard lines into the elements of of the armor. Then then you can get into some really kind of gray area, and so my my challenge to you this morning is to kind of see those, but see them loosely. When it comes to their corresponding elements. Because here's a great example, okay? Um, Here it tells us the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. But Paul, who also wrote 1 Thessalonians, wrote 1 Thessalonians 5 8 to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope and salvation. Well, there's not a lot of difference there but if you're drawing hard lines one says the breastplate of righteousness the other one says the breastplate of faith and love one says the helmet of salvation the other one says the helmet of hope and salvation so I, I say all that to say be careful drawing hard lines here's where I'd rather you focus okay when it comes to the armor of God there's one word that's used already twice in the, in the verses that we've read here out of Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. In verse 13, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. And, and can I just suggest that I'm going to worry less individually about the belt or the breastplate or the shoes or the shield or the helmet or the sword but maybe, maybe to be strong in the Lord and to take your stand against the devil's schemes, we need to make sure that we've got all of the armor on, not just pieces of it. Here's what I mean. We can have shoes ready to share the gospel, but if we don't have our own helmet of salvation, then what are we sharing? We, could, we can have all the truth in the world, but if I don't have faith, then what am I doing with that truth? Does that make sense? We've got got to have every piece of this. Not not necessarily make sure this is that and that is this. No, just make sure you have it all. Because he continues to say, put on the full armor. Just make sure you have every piece of it on. All six aspects of the armor of God, I think, are way more important than if we're going to read the King James Version, figuring out what it means to gird up your loins with the belt of truth, right? And so when we we read through the armor of God, I, I focus on the full armor. So with that in mind how do we take our stand against the enemy we put on the full armor of God that includes saving faith grounded in the Word of God lived out in righteousness truth the willingness to share the Gospels with others that is how we are strong in the Lord when he tells us be strong take your stand have this full armor on that's how you're to live individually And that's how you are, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, to live collectively with each other. So the question is, are you fully armored up? Do you have all the elements and peace? Because I'd I'd be willing to bet that that a lot of us have pieces of that armor. Like pieces of the armor that fit really good. We're, We're comfortable in certain parts of it, but maybe not all of it. But here's what I know. The enemy attacks in the gaps of the armor. I'm gonna say that again because that's really good. The enemy attacks in the gaps of the armor. So, where the struggle is, is where you're not armored up. Where, where you're struggling in your understanding of who God is, where you're struggling is is where you're not armored up. Maybe you haven't taken up the shield of faith. Maybe you haven't quite understood how to just give your life completely over to Him. Maybe maybe you're struggling with this belt of truth because you're just you live in a world where it says there is no absolute truth and you've grown up in a world where it says there is no uh, yes right way or no wrong way. It's everybody's their own way but so how do you, how do you deal with the the truth of God's Word? How, maybe, maybe it's just the helmet of salvation. You've been dancing around it. Maybe you've been going out with like, a, like an old 1940s leather skullcap football helmet on, but you need like a good helmet, like an armored helmet of salvation. Maybe you, you're, you're kind of there, but you're not there. Where you're, where you're weak is where he's going to attack. Remember I said I was going to go back to something in verse 13. Let's do that now. Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your ground, stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. I love that, that Paul says, when the day of evil comes, not if. Because like he knows it's coming. Paul, of everybody, knows, after all the struggles that he's done and all the things that he's experienced, he, more than anybody, knows that, that the day is coming. So when it comes, he says, stand your ground. And when you've done everything, stand. When you've done everything, when you've gone through the battle, when you fought against the enemy's schemes, against his tricks, when you've come out on the other side, you stand. You don't don't kneel in submission. You don't bow in defeat. You don't run away. You stand your ground. You fight. You prevail, and you stand. It's a beautiful picture of the church standing their ground. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 says we are more than conquerors. Second Chronicles 20, 15 says don't be afraid or discouraged by this great army because the battle isn't yours, the battle belongs to God. First Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God, He gives us glory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans eight thirty-one. if God is for us, who can be against us? See church, when we stand, we are standing together. Remember the analogy that he's given them, the armor of God is something that the Romans wore every day. They wore all these pieces of armor. And, and the, the, the more flashy, the higher up you were. But I think it's interesting, that it comes back to this idea of standing your ground. Roman soldiers had uh, sandals that had essentially what we would consider cleats. Had little kind of like, uh, pieces of metal that shot down the bottom of it, so that they, when they would fight, they could get a good, firm stance. And that's exactly what Paul's calling the church to do right now: is when you've gone through the battle, you're still solid where you stand. Here's my last, last thought. It's Paul's last challenge to the Ephesian church, and I'm going to leave you with it as well as we wrap this up. This is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Here's your last, last thought, be a church of prayer. Pray all the time, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, keep on praying. You want God to do an incredible work within this church? You should be praying for that. You want God to do an incredible work within your family? You should be praying that. You want God to bring the right man here to lead this church and to the next level that God's going to take it? You should be praying for that. You want God to radically change this community for his glory? You should be praying for that. Pray all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And then he says this, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You guys have been a wonderful church, and it has been my honor to pastor you. Pray for me. Pray for my family. Is I pray for you, knowing that God's going to bless you and provide and grant and do things that are just beyond what we can ever imagine. Would you stand with me as we pray? TJ is going to come. We're going to have a moment of invitation, just a moment to reflect on all that Paul has given us. Maybe you're weak in an area of, of the armor. Maybe you recognize that you've not done everything that you need to do to, to solidify your, your full protection of the armor of God. Maybe, maybe you just need to say, you know what, I've I got some things i need to be praying about. This is your opportunity to respond to what God's doing. Let's, let's pray together as we, as we respond to him. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and we thank you for all that we've been able to do and experience. And Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and how when you call us to anything, you call us to prayer first. And so, Father, we pray collectively for the future of Emmanuel Baptist. We pray collectively for the man that you're going to have come and lead this church. And God, we pray for the in-between time, that you would allow us to be people of prayer, marked by prayer, people who are fully armored up against the devil's schemes fully aware of the battles that rage around us but not willing to to give in to the tricks not willing to push an agenda not willing to fail not because it's about us not because we're trying to earn something but because you're worth our very best effort so father we we want to pause in this moment we just want to respond to what you're doing in our hearts God if there's somebody here this morning that has seen baptism and, and expressed you know what I, I need to get baptized I haven't ever done that God maybe maybe this morning they just need to join the church or maybe even um, come and say listen I'm, I'm not I'm not really sure if I've got that helmet of salvation I need to figure that out God let today be day that we that we put all these pieces together. God, let today be the day that we commit to pray for all the things that are before us, trusting you in every one of them. God, we give you the next few moments to respond to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.